Hey, this is Tom Kundert from Portugal.net and you're listening to the Selesau podcast. Simoes bending one for Torres. Eusebio. Oh my word! Have you ever seen anything like that? He's got for Simão. A passar por dois adversários, Simão. A tentar oferecer o gol a Figo. E... And we welcome you to episode number 50 of the Celeste Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. We thank you for making this podcast once again a part of your podcast listening day as we return following a two-month break from international football following the Celeste Song's disappointing round of 16 exit at Euro 2020. But the Celeste Song is back in it. Portugal is on the road to Qatar as qualifying for next year's World Cup continues with upcoming qualifiers against Ireland and Azerbaijan coming up at the beginning of September and with a friendly with Qatar sandwiched in between. And of course, the huge news coming out of England. It's the return of Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United. What an unbelievable last few days uh, it has been in terms of uh, his transfer speculation. Um, All signs were pointing towards a, a return to England. All signs were pointing to a return to Manchester, but to where Man City blew. And then a day later, uh, we get the confirmation that he is returning to England. He is returning to Manchester, but he is going to be returning as a Red Devil, where he uh, began his uh, his career uh, in England, uh, playing for six years uh, at uh, at uh, Manchester United before making the big move to Real Madrid. Uh, I, for one, cannot wait for what uh, CR7 has in store for the EPL. Just a, a spectacular move. And what an amazing, just seriously, what an amazing transfer window this has been so far. You have Ronaldo going to United, uh, Messi going to PSG. You have Lukaku going to uh, to Chelsea. He's returning back to Chelsea. We could still see Mbappe heading to Real Madrid prior to Tuesday's deadline. It's just um, absolutely, absolutely wild. And uh, we'll discuss Ronaldo's move uh, to Manchester United as well as preview the Slesson, um in their upcoming qualifiers uh, for the World Cup on episode 50 here of the Slesson Podcast with our good buddy and founder of Portugal.net, Tom Cundert. But before we get to all that, let's remind you of all the ways uh, you can follow and support this very podcast. You can bookmark our website, SlesonPod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SlesonPod. You can like and share our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SlesonPod. And you can email the show SlesonPod at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other podcasting apps and platforms. Simply enter the Celeste Podcast in your search engine. And if uh, you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, uh, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating and leave a kind word or two 
in the reviews. Every little bit helps in our attempt to make this podcast more visible and available uh, on all podcasting platforms around the world. Uh, we also have a YouTube page, so please subscribe to us there as well. A lot of interaction in the comments uh, during Euro 2020 after each episode, so uh, that was a lot of fun to interact uh, with all of you there. Uh, just enter the Celeste Podcast in uh, the YouTube search engine, and then please hit the subscribe button. To paraphrase the great Pat McAfee, if you enjoy this podcast, be an amigo, tell an amigo, and uh, let's uh, get this uh, podcast as big as it possibly can uh, throughout all platforms on social media. Um, ironically, I mentioned the YouTube uh, channel. <laughs> we are not on YouTube on this episode. Uh, I am in the middle of, uh, of moving and selling my house. Uh, you can probably hear a bit of the, uh, of the echo uh, in this, uh, in this uh, episode here as uh, I, my house is, is very empty at the moment. We're about to put it on the market in a couple of days here. So um, if anyone is interested in moving to Elk Grove, California, uh, just south of, uh, of Sacramento, uh, but yeah, go ahead and send me a, a message, send me an email, uh, reach out to me here as, uh, I would definitely like to sell my house and I'd like to sell my house, uh, with a generous offer. So, um, I'm all about, uh, the money. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, all the podcast, yeah, my, my podcast studio, uh, is no longer, uh, I've packed up the majority of uh, my podcasting equipment. So if it does sound a little echoey here, I do apologize, but uh, hopefully you guys enjoy, uh, this episode of the pod. Uh, we will get to uh, our discussion with Tom Cundert here in just a moment, but I uh, I quickly wanted to go over the uh, the call ups uh, that Fernandesunch made uh, for the upcoming qualifiers and the friendly. And yes, Fernandesunch still very much the manager of this uh, of this lesson, uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of you guys out there. We talked about it in our last episode with uh, with Eric Krakauer uh, at the end of the Euros. Um, Fernandesunch still the manager of the, of this team. Uh, but the uh, the call-ups were as follows. Uh, goalkeepers, Anthony Lopes, uh, Diogo Costa, uh, Rui Patricio. Defenders, uh, João Concelo, Ricardo Pereira, Domingos Duarte, Gonçalo Inácio, Pep, Ruben Dias, Nuno Mendes, and Rafael Guerreiro. Uh, midfield, Danilo Pereira, João Palinha, Bruno Neves, Bruno Fernandes, João Mário, João Moutinho, Otávio Monteiro, and uh, Bernardo Silva. And uh, the forwards and wingers, uh, André Silva, Cristiano Ronaldo, Diogo Jota, Gonçalo Guedes, Pedro Gonçalves, and Rafa Silva. So, um, in terms of the call-ups, again, uh, Portugal has a, a, a very deep uh, player pool. Um, you, you don't see, you don't see uh, José Font. You don't see William Carvalho. Uh, obviously, William had a tough uh, Euros there. Um, you know, uh, in terms of right backs, um, Nelson Smedu and uh, Diogo, uh, Diogo Dalot, uh, they are off, uh, did not return. Um, you, you know, we have the returning João Concelo. He was out during the Euros because of COVID-19. Um, Ricardo Pereira finally uh, back in uh, in the good graces of this lesson. Not that he was ever out of it, but he's been dealing with injuries and timing of call-ups and stuff like that. Just hasn't been his friend the last uh, year to 18 months, but uh, definitely excited to, uh, to see him get the call-up. Um, the debut call-ups for Diogo Costa, Otávio Monteiro, and uh, Inácio, uh, Gonçalo Inácio. Um, we will see if uh, they get any uh, any burn, uh, if any. Uh, maybe perhaps in that uh, in that Qatar friendly um, that we will uh, we will talk about in terms of schedule there. Um, nothing really, uh, nothing here to to be like. I can't believe this person is on the roster. And if I mean. 
the only person maybe Gonzalez. Gets, listen, guys, there's 25 guys called here. He might be the 25th guy. Um, you know, some murmurs about Otavio Montaido getting called up. I don't have an issue with it because he might be number 24. So, um, again, a deep squad, uh, a squad that should definitely take care of business here uh, in the qualifiers. Um, Portugal will be hosting Ireland on September the 1st. Um, that is their first matchup in the group. Uh, they then go to Hungary, uh, does Portugal, to take on Qatar uh, on September the 4th in a friendly. And then they go away to Azerbaijan on September the 7th. Uh, the Slesson opened up a group play um, at home, quote-unquote, uh, back in March of this year against Azerbaijan. That game, uh, if you remember, was played in uh, in Turin uh, at uh, Juventus Stadium uh, back in March uh, due to the, the state of COVID-19 in Portugal at the time. They had to move the game uh, to Turin. Uh, the Slesson were on 1-0 uh, victors there via an own goal. It was almost like a microcosm of what was to come uh, in 2021 for Portugal. But uh, but Portugal currently sit uh, atop their group, uh, Group A of uh, World Cup qualifying uh, in UEFA. Uh, they uh, sit atop uh, with seven points out of a possible nine. Uh, should have been uh, nine out of nine to start the campaign, but uh, it is what it is. Can't do anything about that now. Uh, they are tied with Serbia on points uh, at seven. Serbia is in second place because Portugal has a goal difference uh, of three. Uh, Serbia has a goal difference of two. On the plus side, of course, uh, Luxembourg sit in third place with three points. And uh, the opponents for uh, this lesson, uh, Ireland and Azerbaijan, they are still looking for their first points in qualifying. Uh, this is a golden opportunity for this lesson, in my opinion, to uh, hammer down the um, not the group itself, but they should be coming away with with six points and, and should be putting goals in the net balls in the net. Uh, and, and get this uh, goal differential if it if it needs to come to it, which it shouldn't have to, but if it needs to, this is a perfect opportunity to uh, to take on uh, two of the weaker sides in the group and and put some uh, put some distance between them and Serbia in terms of goal difference. There, we'll be very interested very interested to see uh, the lineups here that uh, Fernand Sanz, um, uh may put out there. Uh, I talk about it a little bit in the upcoming uh, interview with uh, with uh, Tom Cundard. You know, could we see the debut of Noon Minge at le- at left back? Um, you know, could we see you know Anthony Lopes instead of Rui Patricio? Um, you know, could we finally see Pedro Gonçalves make his uh, make his uh, his debut in terms of uh, official match? Um, you know, he didn't play a minute uh, in in the Euros, uh, so that uh, that it was. Yeah, that was disappointing to say the least, uh, considering the year he had, uh, leading the league and scoring uh, the this past season, and then opening up uh, just on fire already for Sporting uh, in this uh, in this go round so far. But uh, but a lot of interesting decisions to be made, uh, a lot of quality though uh, for this Lesson and a, a six out of six, and hopefully a uh, an injury free uh, Qatar friendly is what is on store, what is in store for our Lesson. So. With that said, let's go ahead and get to our interview now with uh, Tom Cundert of Portugal.net. We discuss, obviously, the big uh, news of uh, the week of this transfer window. And, of course, he gives his thoughts on the Slesson as well as you're listening to episode number 50 of the Slesson podcast. So we thank you guys uh, for tuning in to uh, the Slesson podcast. It's uh, episode number 50. And uh, what better way to uh, commemorate the golden anniversary, golden episode, whatever you want to talk about or call it, I should say, uh, than uh, having uh, this uh, guest of ours come on the show. Of course, it's our good buddy Tom Cundert of Portugal 
Portugal.net. You could follow Tom on Twitter at Portugal. One, that's P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L and the number one. Tom, uh, wonderful to have you back on. And there is absolutely nothing to talk about. So why are we even doing this episode? <laughs> yeah, Danny, great. Uh, thanks for having me on. You know, always love talking about Portuguese football. Yeah, it's a shame, you know, nothing going on at all. Maybe we can talk about the weather or something. <laughs> yeah, the weather's been nice. It hasn't been too bad. So uh, so, so that's a, that's a positive. Uh, Tom, let, let's, just, this is, let's just get right down to it. Uh, the big transfer... Uh, in England, uh, we were recording this on uh, on Saturday, but the uh, the big transfer that happened on Friday, of course, Tom. Let's get your thoughts on Musa Sissoko going from Spurs to Watford. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's a good move. You know, I've always been impressed with him, and uh, let's see how it goes. <laughs> All right, guys, that's uh, episode number fifty. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it has been. Uh, a crazy 48 hours or so um, when, when involving the name Cristiano Ronaldo. And that, and that says something uh, considering the career that, that this guy has had. Um, But to hear the rumors of Manchester city and, you know, all the pundits and, and, you know, and uh, folks in the know uh, transfer experts and, and then all of a sudden, just on by a flip of a coin, uh, I woke up to the news uh, here in the states in California uh, yesterday morning, and all of a sudden it, it's you know we see confirmed and uh, confirmed Manchester, and all of a sudden it was United and not City. But it seems almost right that it's going to be Manchester United, obviously given his history with with the club. But um, what are your thoughts uh, on this on this move? Uh, for CR7 uh, back to Old Trafford. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? I think the, you know, like you say, it's really the V story of almost the summer, you could say. I suppose there was, uh, you know, Ronaldo, whatever Messi does, Ronaldo's not far behind him. Whatever Ronaldo does, Messi's not far behind him. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Is it the two biggest stories of the of the summer? It's amazing they both move on in the same summer. And yeah, I'd agree with you. You know, I think everyone's really excited that he's gone back to Manchester, you know, from a Portuguese point of view. So many good memories, you know, when he went there, being uh, really the, uh, you know, such a big superstar, really the standard bearer of that league for a few years. And, you know, being Portuguese and, you know, really kind of flying the flag for Portugal. And, uh, you know, all those good memories now will be rekindled, of course, going back to going back to United. It's very, uh, you know, it was very kind of disconcerting in a way, uh, the the thought that he'd be moving to Manchester City. Uh, you know, nothing against Manchester City. Uh, I know some people really don't like that club because of, you know, the kind of political implications of their owners and they call it, you know, plastic fans and that. I, I'm not really in that camp because, you know, Manchester City itself is a very historic club. And our good friend Simon uh, Curtis, for example, uh, you know, he's been supporting them for years and years, even before, uh, the, you know, the old money came in. So uh, it certainly would have made things interesting if he did go to Pep Guardiola's team, but didn't quite feel right, did it? Even in terms of how they play, you know, there's such a high energy team, Manchester City, pressing all over the pitch. And that really isn't Ronaldo's game right now. So, yeah. Going back to Manchester United, you know, so many players there really to serve him. And again, from the Portuguese point of view, 
hopefully he can strike up really good chemistry with Bernardo, with uh, Bruno Fernandes. And of course, that will only benefit the Uh you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Simon Curtis. Uh, did you did you talk to him at all throughout this uh, throughout the last few days, like getting his thoughts on uh, on him on on uh, Cristiano Ronaldo heading to City? And what were his thoughts initially of him of him heading to uh, to the citizens? Yeah, I didn't actually. I haven't actually spoken to him. Just been seeing a few of his Twitter. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's always very active on Twitter. And of course, he had quite a lot to say about people just completely rubbishing the deal and saying this feels wrong. Uh, because again, I think that's just a little bit, you know, one eyed looking at it. Uh, kind of PSG and Manchester City are almost like public enemies number one, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Unless, unless yeah. you're a supporter, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. But because, you know, Simon's a good friend of mine and I know he's, you know, he's what you'd call, he's a very opposite of what you'd call a plastic fan. You know, he's been fans. He, he, most of a lot of his work is talking about Manchester City uh, kind of reprisals of what when they were in the third division 30 years ago, <laughs> doing kind of historical perspectives like that. So, uh, so you know, of course, it would have been exciting for them. But, uh, but yeah, I think for the wider general world, and I think for, again, like I say, for Portuguese football fans, it just brings back such good memories of really when, so probably, I don't know if you'd agree with me, Danny, probably the... The biggest superstar, uh, well, I, I don't think there's much doubt about it. You know, the biggest super, Portuguese superstar of all time, uh, you know, playing for Manchester United. That was just such a, you could say it's almost a time when Portuguese football kind of exploded onto the consciousness of, of yeah. the wider world. You know, of course, we did have Luis Figo before who can't kind of, you know, brush over his career. What a career he had again at the, uh, you know, at Real Madrid and Barcelona. But, uh, but you know, Ronaldo's, kind of a different level isn't he he is one of the best of all time and so yeah it just kind of feels right for me him going back to Manchester uh, United (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely Uh, the the city option uh, and again a a lot was reported and again not not by you know you know run of the mill or you know uh, guys who are just getting their their feet wet in in uh in the business, but I mean, you know, Fabrizio Romano and and, and other uh, other pundits and and other transfer experts, they were reporting not that the deal was done, obviously to City, but that it was getting very close. Um, wh- from everything that you read, uh, how real did it feel that he was going to go to City, and was this, in your opinion, just a a masterclass in I don't want to call it manipulation, but just a, a masterclass by George Minge to get CR7 back to Manchester United. Yeah, I think we're going to have to wait a bit. I need to see the full story. But yeah, that's certainly a very strong possibility. It was that. It did really seem very real, didn't it? Because I guess the situation was Ronaldo himself had decided that he didn't want to stay in Italy. You know, he wanted a new challenge. I think maybe he felt he wasn't really at the centre of the football world anymore. And he's probably only got, you know, one, two more years at the very top. So he probably felt he wanted to use those years at, you know, being you know, right in the, in the in the most high profile league or uh, I guess. And but that, of course, you know, because of the player he is and the wages he commands, that does limit the options of, uh, you know, where he can go. There's probably really only two or three clubs, uh, English clubs, who could 
have uh, you know potentially signed him. Chelsea just signed Lukaku, of course, so they had no need for him. So yeah, uh, you know Manchester City seemed uh, almost the only viable option. And uh, yeah, I I actually believe you know like you said a lot of these transfer experts who or people who usually uh, you know get these things right were tweeting that uh, you know Ronaldo to Manchester City is pretty much pretty much uh, on the cards but uh yeah i thought it's very interesting also the way that it seems that a lot of pressure came on ronaldo from ex teammates uh at manchester united you know some of these older guys like uh like uh, rio ferdinand and uh, basically all, all that old guard who he played with i think even david beckham well his, uh, his roy, current coach roy keane yeah, exactly, exactly. Solskjaer himself, and of course, uh, as well as his old teammates, what is go is going to be now his current club teammate. You know, Bruno Fernandes was a uh, Solskjaer said that didn't he? That Bruno had been on the phone to him. You know, obviously uh, trying to say, you know, forget the other side of Manchester, <laughs> come to us, and uh, that seems to have had the desired effect from Manchester United's point of view. And uh, yeah, he ended up there. I was really the ins and outs of it. I can't really, you know, I, I've got no inside information. And I think uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm sure there'll be lots of articles in the next few days. There's sure to be a, an athletic article article with something like the inside story of Ronaldo's move to, to Manchester United. And uh, yeah, that will probably make some, for some interesting reading. Yeah, it'd be it would be a fascinating read. Uh, that that is for sure. We're talking with Tom Cundert here on episode number fifty of the Celeste Zone podcast. I'm your host, Danny Pinto. Uh, Tom, when when we first started the uh, the podcast uh, three years ago, a little bit more than three years ago, one of the first conversations that you and I had um, was regarding Ronaldo's move to uh, Juventus, and it's been three years. Um, I don't think. Uh, I don't think you can say that in terms of statistics on, on Ronaldo's part that it was, um, I don't want to call it a failure, but just it, it, was, it wasn't it was up to snuff in terms of what he was brought there for. He was obviously brought to to Turin to, to get them over the, the Champions League hump. And uh, a, a quarterfinal appearance was as far as they, uh, as they have gotten in the three years that Ronaldo was there. Um, how would you characterize... Uh, his three years uh, at, at Juve, and and I guess is uh, would it be fair? I, I, is it easy? Is it easy enough to just say or ask? Was it a success or was it not? Yeah, it's like all these things. You know, we want these kind of binary answers, don't we? But I think for this one, it's it's too it's too tough to say. You can't really say uh, it was a failure or it was a success. Well, a failure it definitely wasn't because you know look at the amount of goals he scored. Uh, lots of people, of course, they said he'd struggle in Italy. He didn't struggle. He proved again what an amazing player he is. That doesn't really matter what team, what environment, what league, what country he's in. He's always going to uh, prosper. He's always going to score goals. He's always going to be you know, a real threat to opposition defences. I mean, last season he was top scorer. We can't forget that. Uh, having said that, you know, individually, uh, his performance level didn't drop, didn't, didn't drop too much. You know, obviously, he's not quite the same player that he was a few years ago. He is uh, slowing down a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, from a team point of view, uh, it didn't really work out, did it? Cause like you said, 
they uh, they bought him primarily to try and you know win the Champions League or at least get you know much further in the Champions League, and that didn't happen at all, did it? So, and I know there was quite a lot of criticism as well that the the team structure wasn't really evolving. Uh, you know, they didn't really, and and of course we have to remember. They'd won the league, how many times was it? You know, they'd won the league, the league for like previous 157 years or whatever. And then <laughs> Ronaldo went there. And of course, last year they didn't win the league. It's the first time they didn't win the league for a long time. So, yeah, from that point of view, you, I suppose you have to say from the team point of view, it wasn't a success. I think from the individual point of view, you know, uh, Ronaldo didn't let anyone down. You know, he, he gave his best as, you, as you'd always expect him to. And he put up those numbers. And, uh, you know, they did have some success. Of course, they won the league first year. I think they won a cup last year, didn't they? They had some good results. But, uh, but yeah, overall, I think you'd have to say on the balance, it was not the best two years of his career. Yeah, 134 matches played for uh, for uh, for Juventus, 101 goals scored uh, for CR7. Uh, the individual part of it, is, uh, as we both mentioned here, uh, that wasn't the issue. Just it just in the the re- I guess the return on investment just wasn't there for for Juventus yeah. and and probably not for Ronaldo too because I I, I think he wanted a, a an opportunity to you know obviously uh, a Ballon d'Or a Champions League that's where he thrives in terms of club competition and that just wasn't there for him uh, in in his in his three seasons at uh, at, at Juve. Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely, Danny. I mean, I just talked a while ago, you know, him perhaps wanting to to be more at the centre of things, and you know, in terms of prestige and and high profile, isn't it? You know, the the EPL is the most high profile league. But yeah, but you're right. You know, just in terms of having a chance to win the Champions League, uh, you know, you'd have to say Juventus seem to be quite a long way off at, at the moment. Manchester United, you know, they just seem to be a team on the up. You'd have to say they'd probably have a, a far higher chance of of winning it, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to win. Of course, you have to remember, we kind of forget oh, yeah. because, uh, because Ronaldo's had so much success five times. I think he won it, didn't he? That we, we tend to think, you know, yeah, you know, maybe he can win it another once or twice. But I mean, just look at players like Messi. When was the last time he won it? Look at Pep Guardiola. You know, he's been at Bayern Munich and at Manchester City for the last, what, seven years or something. And, and he hasn't won it, the Champions League. So, it is a really difficult competition to win, probably the most difficult, well, certainly the most difficult club competition in the world to win. And I do think that, uh, yeah, he will have a much better chance of trying to add to his record, you know, and maybe get another win at Manchester United than, than Juventus, without a doubt. You know, he made the move uh, to Real Madrid 12 years ago. Um you know the the EPL is not the same league as it was when he left. He's not the same player that he was twelve years ago. With that said, what you know, what kind of expectations should fans, should uh, supporters of Manchester United, supporters of the Slesson, and and just in general, what what kind of expectations should we have of Ronaldo's return? Uh, to Manchester United in terms of you know his ability on the field and what he you know, what, what he, I guess, for lack of a better term, what he has left in the tank. Yeah, they're going to have to adapt their game, aren't they? Manchester, well, whatever team he plays for, will have to adapt their game to Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, and it seems, you know, it's a team sport and sometimes 
people say, you know, why that, that can't be healthy, adapting your whole structure to one player. But when you're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, even now, you know that if they set up the team to serve him, he will score and he will score goal after goal after goal. He won't, uh, he won't do much defensively. No, he won't track back. Like you said, he's a very different player to 12 years ago. He won't be picking up the ball on the halfway line or he'd probably spend most of his time in the last third of the opposition pitch, won't he? So, you know, they have to, they have to just set up, uh, you know, they just have to set up the team to make sure they get the very best out of him. And if they do that on his part, he'll make his contribution, which at the end of the day, you know, for whatever people criticise him and say, you know, he's not, he's not the player he was. And uh, he, he still is an absolute master at the very hardest thing to do in football, which is scoring goals, you know, putting the ball in the back of the net. Sure. So, yeah, he can still be in a huge asset for Manchester United. But yeah, you know, it's, it is very interesting. Uh, it's very well put there, Danny. He's a completely different player to 12 years ago. So it's going to be interesting. You know, hopefully he'll have a successful two years. But uh, afterwards, it'd be interesting comparing his time at Manchester United, you know, part one and part two, because it's almost like having two different players, really. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Tom Cunner here of Portugal.net. You can follow Tom on Twitter. Uh, at Portugal one, um, let's let's uh, shift the focus now to uh, originally what what was the reason uh, we were going to have you on, which was to preview some uh, some national team uh, football. As uh, of course we are uh, getting in the back back in the swing of things of uh, Slesong soccer. Um, Tom, we're we're about two months removed from Portugal's frustrating exit from Euro twenty twenty. Um, when we lost to Belgium in the round of 16. A lot was discussed during the tournament, obviously before the tournament, and then you know, absolutely after the tournament about Fnansan's future uh, with this club or with this, with this team as manager. Um, he eventually obviously is, has stayed on. He named the roster um, a few days back. For the uh, for the qualifiers, the World Cup qualifiers against uh, Ireland, uh, and who was it here? Ireland yeah, Azerbaijan. and Azerbaijan. Thank you. And then the the friendly against Qatar sandwiched in there. Um, what were your thoughts following the exit, and what have your what and have your thoughts changed any uh, two months following um, Portugal's loss and, and and exit out of Euro twenty twenty in terms of your feelings? Towards Fernand Sanch still being the manager uh, of the of the Slesson. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've got to be honest. I think my support of Fernando Santos before Euros is different to the support I feel for him after the Euros because, uh, you know, it, let's face it, it was a bit of a disappointment, wasn't it? You you know, you look at the you assess the whole tournament as a whole. Uh, what did Portugal do? What when did Portugal impress? You know, maybe the last ten minutes against Hungary, first half against France. And that was about it, I'd say. You know, some people point to the Belgian game and saying Portugal were were the better team, were the better team, or created the most chances. But I think that was really more because of game context. You know, Belgium scored. Portugal had no choice but to. Yeah, it was out of desperation. <laughs> yeah, 
Belgium obviously sat back to protect their lead. So I think that's why we saw the game that we did, not really because Portugal kind of overwhelmed Belgium. So yeah, it was a disappointing, it was a disappointment, especially, of course, when you consider Portugal were champions. And I think unanimously, you know, certainly everyone kind of in the know, everyone who's been following Portuguese football, uh, you know, people like you and I, and I'm sure most of the listeners to this show would agree that the team, the squad uh, for Euro 2020, uh, which was played in, you know, this year, was far stronger than the squad that's actually won it in 2016. So, you know, expectations are really high. And you could say that Fernando Santos is a little bit the victim of his own success because of that. But, but you know, it, it's just been disappointing to really not so much... Um, you know, the fact that Portugal went out in the first uh, knockout match, you know, that can happen. Uh, you know, Belgium are a good team. But uh, really the way the team doesn't really seem to be evolving and doesn't really seem to be harnessing the talents of this, you know, amazing really generation of top midfielders and forwards, especially, who are all doing brilliant things at their clubs. You know, Diogo Jota, uh, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, you know, uh, Andre Silva, what a season he had last season, uh, you know, and you really expected more from Portugal. And so, and so, yeah, I'd say for the first time, uh, from my point of view, and I think from, uh, I'm sure the FBF must be feeling it a little bit, that there is quite a lot of pressure on Fernando Santos. We really need to see more from him uh, to, you know, to kind of keep the faith. Yeah, two round of 16 exits in the last two major competitions following uh, the 2016 triumph. Um, definitely has a lot of um, fans and a lot of supporters of of this national team scratching their heads in terms of, you know, is Fernand Sanz the guy uh, going forward? And and I think you you put it perfectly. He is a victim, in in my opinion, of his own success. It's, you know, you think of a, you think of a manager winning the way that they did five years ago in the Euros. Uh, and then you give him such an improved roster, especially on the on the offensive end. Um, it just hasn't it just hasn't translated that uh, that way for uh, for Nansanchen. Obviously it's he you know we, we talk about him being set in his ways and in a certain to a certain extent he is um, but he has given a lot of players their debut call-ups and, and, and some of these guys rightfully so. However, uh, you know, the, all this firepower that, uh, that this, that this team, uh, potentially has to unleash against an opponent just has not been unleashed. And, you know, you have, you know, you have players like, uh, you know, Bruno Fernandes who has not translated, uh, his, his stellar club play, uh, to the national team yet. Uh, you see Bernard Silva struggle uh, for the most part the last few years uh, with you know with glimpses here and there uh, on the national team. Uh, you have a guy like Pedro Gonçalves who you know was the leading scorer in Portugal last season and did not see the field at the Euros at all. Um, you, you have all this talent coming your way, and it's and just because you have talent, Tom, and and you know this. It it's this team or this this job I should say is not an easy job to have given all this talent. But um, he, this is the job that he has signed up for. This is the job that he has 
retained and chose to stay on for. So I'm with you. And you know, when we when we did the Euro series um, this summer with Eric Krakauer, we're we're both of the opinion that um you can you can always thank Fernand Sons for what he has done, but it's also time for for him to possibly go. The question is who would come after, and and that's another that's another discussion. But uh, I think criticism and, and the 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 magnifying glass on Fernand Sanz, uh is is warranted, and it's it's going to be results driven. But I also think it's got to be style of play has to come into uh, into the equation at some point because the team that he has been given uh, is not equating to the results and the quality of play that should be. Yeah, absolutely, hundred uh, percent with you there, Danny. It's the, it, it's, and I think you you actually hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's style of play because uh, I think Fernando Santos. One thing I actually appreciate in his management style, and I think it's been a breath of fresh air. And, and I think uh, compared to Paulo Bento, for example, and I think it's one of the reasons he has had a lot of success since he's been Portugal coach is the fact that he is prepared to bring in different players, to bring in players who are showing good club form. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter how young or how old they are. And also to drop players who, you know, who aren't doing the business. So in terms of his selections and his, uh, you know, the, the way he goes about picking his squad every game or every match day, uh, I think he, you, you can't really fault him there. What, you can fault him about is it's just that he doesn't really seem to know how to get the best out of these players, you know, especially, uh, you know, how to make them a cohesive team, basically. I mean, Bruno Fernandes, these last, since he's gone to Manchester United, what, almost two years ago, he's just been a, an absolute phenomenon. How many games can you remember when Bruno Fernandes has impressed in a Portugal shirt? You know, I can remember maybe one, the final the final friendly before uh, these Euros. And, and, the, and the keyword there, yeah. Thomas, friendly. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and yeah, exactly. it's and, and not to and not to interrupt you, but it's we still don't know. And, and again, a national team evolves like any other team, but we still don't know what this what this team's best eleven is. Yeah, yeah, and it is in some way, you know, it's it's not it's not such an easy uh, thing to do, of course, because I think maybe three of the most, if you're talking about pure talent, maybe three of the of the biggest talents, you could say at the moment, Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Joao Felix, and I suppose you could even put maybe Pedro Gonçalves into that spot. They're all quite similar players who can play quite similar roles, you know, so maybe, maybe you, you know, you have to make a tough decision and maybe you can't you know, try and shoot them all into the team and you have to pick one or two of them and leave one or two of them on the bench if that results in a more cohesive team, you know, that works that works better. Uh, and so, but yeah, it's, you know, that's the disappointing thing. There doesn't really seem to be any movement. He hasn't really experimented, for instance, with different systems, has he? I think uh, it's, it's a bit of a, a fashion now in football to play free at the back with wing backs, you know, three or five at the back, depending how you look at it. Uh, of course, that's a system Sporting played last season, had a lot of success and and won the league doing that. A lot of teams all throughout Europe are doing that, even Italy uh, in the Euros. I think that was a the system they used, wasn't it? And they ended up winning the Euros. And so, and, and you look at Portugal's roster and 
as players who you would think are absolutely perfectly suited to that system. 100%. Yeah, especially the, you know, the fullbacks or the wingbacks. You've got Ricardo Pereira, even Rafael Guerreiro, you know, Joao Cancelo. Uh, you, you know, these players and Nuno Mendes, of course, at Sporting. These are the kind of players you would have thought would, would thrive in a system like that. And, okay, Fernando Santos may kind of decide that's not for him, but you would have thought, you know, in all his time, he would have at least experimented, tried it, you know, given Portugal a bit of a plan B. And he just doesn't, he seems a bit too, like you, you mentioned it there again, a bit too set in his ways. I think, uh, let's see if it's, let's see if it's different going forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, you would, you would think that, you know, it, it might not be the way that he, you know, came up playing football. I mean, he's been in coaching for so long and, and again, success has, has come with that, but you would think that maybe having, uh, or bringing on someone who might be familiar with a different formation to kind of get him going. And, and Tom, we're, we're speculating here. Maybe he has, and maybe he just doesn't want to play it. Um, but I'm, I'm sure I want to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's at least maybe thought about a, a, a system change, and maybe it's just not for him. But whatever the case is, it, 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 he definitely is. I don't want to say on borrowed time, but I think the ice is getting very thin under his feet. And no, yeah, I'd agree. I think that I don't think that's too you know stronger term to use. Uh, you know because uh, it's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Having these fantastic players, it's great for Portugal. You know it in in principle, it uh, increases our chances of winning matches. But on the other side, it it raises expectations, and there's such an abundance of talent now that. You do think it would be a, a terrible shame if if Portugal never really, uh, you know, I'm not saying they, you know, they have to win the World Cup or they have to get to the to the final or whatever, but we just want to see glimpses of these players playing at their best for Portugal. You know, if they do that, okay, they may win, they may lose, but uh, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. But if I think the worst thing, you know, which which people are are fearing a little bit, is if this group of players never really gets the chance to uh you know to be at their best in the national team and we never see this team playing uh you know the kind of attacking football that we know they they should be capable of with the personnel at their disposal yeah i think that is maybe the biggest fear out of all is just the the, the opportunity to capitalize on the on the talent that is currently at uh, at Fernandes' disposal. Speaking of that talent, uh, what did you think of the uh, the call ups here for the uh, the upcoming qualifiers uh, and the friendly? And any any surprises? Any I guess like you know, we have some we have some players that are have been called up for the first time in uh, in Dio Costa and Otavio and uh, and uh, who am I missing here? The center back from uh, your beloved Sporting. I just had this the roster. Yeah, uh, Gonzalo Inacio. Yeah. Um, the return of João Mario and Ricardo Pereira to the national team fold. We obviously get um, uh, João Concelo back um, from. Uh, you know, it was such a heartbreaking loss to, to for for him to be off the off the team right before the tournament started due to due to COVID nineteen. But um, what was uh, what are your thoughts of of this roster uh, for these uh, for these upcoming matches? Yeah, I like it. I like it, Danny. I think it's again. It's like I said earlier. You can't whatever you. You think about Fernando Santos. I don't think one of his faults is is uh, you know picking the wrong players. I think this is a pretty much ideal squad. Uh, I'd say you know very pleased to see Ricardo Pereira back. You know I do think 
you know, Portugal has got such an abundance of riches, haven't they, at right back? I mean, Nelson Semedo, in some ways, I feel a bit sorry for him. Everyone was so down on him. I thought he was perhaps one of the few players who, uh, you know, did come out of the Euros with his reputation enhanced a little bit. Uh, I thought, you know, the game against France, especially, is really impressed with him in that game. But, uh, you know, he's out and uh, you can't really uh, argue that when you've got players of the calibre of Ricardo Pereira and Joao Cancelo at right back. Uh, you know, very pleased to see Palinha there as well. I think he, Joao Palinha could become a key player for, for Portugal, especially as we're, you know, William Carvalho, it seems like his time is up. And Danilo Pereira, I think there's one or two question marks about whether he'll be the the holding midfielder just because I'm not sure he'll be guaranteed playing time at PSG. And I think when he has played at PSG, it's of, it's uh, quite often been at centre-back. So uh, I think Polina might become the, uh, the, the holding midfielder long-term for Portugal, perhaps. And he's been just absolutely incredible this, this last year. I think even at the start of this season, I think he's, he's even added things to his game. So very pleased to see him in there. Uh, then, yeah, you know, the usual, uh, you can't really argue about, you know, all the big stars are there. Of course, Diogo Jota, great to see him starting well again for Liverpool. Be interesting to see who uh, Fernando Santos chooses to go up alongside Ronaldo, whether Jota, who had a pretty disappointing Euro, you'd have to say, whether he'll be there or whether Andre Silva might, might get the chance, you know, after the amazing season he had and he started again well at Leipzig uh, and I suppose perhaps the name which caused the most surprise or uh, you know a few people questioning was Octavio uh, the Porto midfielder I actually think it's a it's a good call-up I think he has slightly different uh, attributes to the other midfielders kind of similar to Joao Martinho but I'd say a bit more aggressive and uh, perhaps not so composed as Moutinho, but a bit more aggressive and uh, a bit more skillful, I'd say. Joao Mario, you know, a lot of people uh, criticising that move, saying this is the old, you know, <laughs> sporting Benfica rivalry coming to the fore. And a lot of sporting fans saying, you know, he had a great season at sporting, didn't get a look in as soon as he moves to Benfica, he's in that team. But uh, I don't really buy those arguments, I think. The only reason perhaps Joao Mario is there is, first of all, he has started the season very well. But also we've got to remember players like Renato Sanchez are out, you know, Joao Felix is out. So that kind of opened up a spot for him. And uh, and yeah, I think he deserves to be to be in the squad as well. So, yeah, for me, no real arguments about this squad. Uh, and also very pleased just a quick mention to see Diogo Costa as well, the the third choice goalkeeper. I know you've talked quite a few times, Danny, about the fact that Fernando Santos tended to choose three kind of veteran goalkeepers and it was important to, you know, to think about the future. And I think Diogo Costa is the future of, uh, you know, the Portugal national team uh, when Rui Patricio eventually uh, hangs up his gloves. So, yeah, pleased to see him involved as well. Yeah, I liked I liked him getting some just a senior call up just because it's, it's going to be good for him in the long run. Uh, you know, you, 
you know, I would say 99% of the time, you're not going to get much consternation regarding the third goalkeeper choice, uh, given uh, the short turnaround on these, on these matches. But, um, you know, Zessa and Hui Silva also, um, you know, wonderful choices and wonderful options, but <clears throat> excuse me, they, they are also, um, with new clubs. So they're, you know, the adjustment period for them may be, uh, maybe an issue there. And I think it's a perfect opportunity for, for Diogo, uh, for Diogo Costa to, to get some, uh, some time with, with the senior team. Um, who do you think, um, in terms of the, I, you know, we, we, we mentioned that the, there isn't a set starting 11, but you know, there are, uh, there are positions that Dunsunch has, um, or I should say the best starting 11, but there is, uh, there are a few positions that Dunsunch has, has always kind of gone to, um, in terms of the same players, um, in, in some instances, um, are there changes or could you see some changes to that starting 11, uh, in terms of, could you see, uh, noon Minch, you know, get, get some time in, in these matches at left back. Uh, you mentioned Juan Palinha. Uh, he to me is, is a, is a shoe in at that defensive holding midfield spot, um, you know, right now, given his, uh, given the way he played at the Euros and and how, uh, and, and what an, a, a change and just it was like a, a fluid and just almost like he just plug and played him and 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 he was yeah. and he was great with, with the with this national team. But uh, him could could we see could we see Pot? Could we see maybe even Anthony Lops maybe get a start uh, at? Uh, at goalkeeper um, over Hui Patrice. What, what could you see in terms of uh, players that haven't been starting before but could get an opportunity here in these uh, upcoming matches? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a good, good point there. Perhaps Lobs actually hadn't thought about that, but he, I think he did play the first couple of uh, qualifiers, didn't he? In this, in this, if I memory serves me yeah, right, he did. Or, yeah, against Azerbaijan again and again, perhaps. Uh, Fernando Santos might feel it's not much of a risk. I, I still do think Rui Patricio is Portugal's number one, is, is, is the best goalkeeper, but perhaps uh, this is a good opportunity to give Lops, uh, you know, a couple of uh, official games, you know, non-friendly games, uh, because, uh, you know, you wouldn't really expect Ireland and uh, Azerbaijan, I'm not saying... Portugal are going to just brush them aside, but you wouldn't really expect them to cause too much of a, a threat to the Portuguese goal. So that might happen. Yeah, I agree with you. Like I said, absolutely about Polinia. I think is, I think is a wonderful player. Uh, completely exceeded all my expectations as a sporting fan when he came back to Sporting. Just as uh, you know, he was good at Braga. I think he's got even better at Sporting, and is is one player who you can see. Uh, his evolution. I think Ruben Amorin, Amorin is really working hard with him and his, uh, like I said before, his really added attributes to his game, his, his passing now, his long-range passing is a, a really strong asset of his game. And the fact that uh, William's not there, you know, like I said, question marks about Danilo and even Renato Sanchez, who, who might have been used in that position as the kind of more defensive midfielder. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he's out because of injury. So I'd be very surprised if Polina wasn't the, the first choice. I suppose the only other uh, possibility is Ruben Neves. But I think because of the way Polina played at Euros, I think he probably gets the nod there. And uh, yeah, you know, going forward, it really is, <laughs> it's a bit tough because, you know, I could say 
uh, like you mentioned there, you know, Pedro Gonçalves, top scorer in Portugal last season, started this season on fire as well. You've got to play him. And so that's kind of one way I look at it. But then, you know, I look at the squad and I say, okay, so who do you drop? Because you <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Can you play Pedro Gonçalves and Bruno Fernandes and Bernardo Silva? You know, probably not. I suppose Bernardo, his future looks a little bit up in the air at the moment, isn't it? I don't think he's played yet for Manchester City. So I perhaps expect Pedro Gonçalves to start over him. Uh, that's, that would be interesting to see if, you know, if Pot and uh, Bruno Fernandes can, can get some kind of chemistry going. Uh, that could be, again something which you know Portugal look uh, look towards building for the future and uh yeah and I think it's going to be interesting also the left back situation again I'm a huge fan of Nuno Mendes I think he's just going to be a world superstar I still um, got everything crossed Danny all my fingers and all my legs <laughs> that that he won't be sold by sporting in his next you know four or five days before the transfer window closes because he in my opinion, absolutely no doubt he could play for any team in the world and he would he would do a great job for them. He's a he's a fantastic player. But having said that, Rafael Guerreiro, you know, generally he's been good for Portugal and he is a I know that he is a big favourite of Fernando Santos's. So not quite sure who would get the nod there. But uh, you know, unless he'll really surprise us. And uh, I know a few people have mentioned this uh, in the past. I, I think it might actually work quite nicely. Quite nicely is uh, choosing Nuno Mendes at left back, and then including Rafael Guerreiro in the team, but more as a left midfielder or left winger. And I think that that could make that flank quite devastating, really. But uh, like I said, you know, so many good players. Unfortunately, you can only pick eleven. So yeah, I'd say they're they're the main things I'll be looking out for. Yeah, and and again, it's it's a it's a good time to unless you're Fernand Sanch, it's a good time to uh, to watch uh, all this talent come uh, uh, come uh, come our way in terms of uh, this last song, and and it is a headache no matter if it's Fernand Sanch or, or anyone else to to get the the best eleven on the field, and and the the good thing for for fans uh, of this national team, Tom, is that you know we're we're thirty forty deep right now um yeah. up and down up and down the field and and you can only take a, a certain amount every every call up um there is a player that has been making some noise and his name has been uh, bandied about the last uh couple of days following the call ups and including uh another call up from another national team and and um while we always look at something with these uh with these national team call ups you don't really see you know a, a player uh you know, bandied about for two national teams, but uh, Mateus Nunes, um, Brazilian-born, uh, but has been uh, living in uh, in uh, Portugal for the last, I would say, 11, 12 years since he was, I think, uh, 12 or 13 years old. The 23-year-old uh, Brazilian-born midfielder playing at Sporting uh, was not called up to uh, Fernand Sanz's roster. Uh, he has Portuguese citizenship, um, he was called up for the Brazilian national team. Um, and, and this was a player, Tom, that you, um, a couple of days back when, when, uh, the Brazilian national team roster was, was announced. Um, this was a player and not only you, but a, a lot of, a lot of experts thought that this was a miss in terms of not calling him up this go around to get him capped, uh, for Portugal. 
Uh, he gets called up by the uh, uh, for Brazil, but reports out of Brazil and reports out of Portugal are saying that he is, in essence, going to decline the invitation to the national team in Brazil because there may have been some sort of promise by either the FPF or Fernandes himself that he will be part of the national team in Portugal going forward. Um, what is the latest that you have read and have understood about Mateus Nunes' situation, and what could a player like Nunes uh, bring to this uh, Portuguese national team? Yeah, first of all, what kind of player is is he? I've, I'm a, yeah, a huge fan of his as well. I think he's a really good player, and again, another kind of midfielder who's a little bit different to the you know very technical uh, players, midfielders, very skillful. Uh, you know, kind of uh, typical, I, could, I suppose you could say, Portuguese playmaker styles. He's not really like that. I'd say the player, Portuguese player, maybe in terms of playing playing style, who is most similar to, I'd actually say is probably Renato Sanchez in that uh, he's, you know, very physical, very strong player, uh, strong in a tackle and perhaps not the best passer at the moment, but very good at carrying the ball forward. You know, he's at progressing at the field and has a really big presence on the pitch. So, yeah, I think he, he really could be a big asset for Portugal. A lot of people blaming Fernando Santos for not choosing him. I think in, in some ways that could be a little bit harsh because I think just on merit, I think perhaps it's a little bit early for him to, to be in this Portugal side right now. He's definitely, you know, a fantastic player, but he's still developing. He's not a fully matured player. And I think he was perhaps taken a bit by surprise, Fernando Santos, that uh, Brazil called him up. And uh, But yeah, you're right. The news has been quite interesting. I've read on Twitter yesterday that it was, I can't remember the name now, but it's a Portuguese journalist and quite a reputable one said that Fernando Santos had actually phoned up uh, Matias Nunes after he was selected in the Brazil squad to assure him that he was in Portugal's plans. You know, he was in Fernando Santos' plans that he didn't call him at this time, but he definitely intended to. And basically he said, this journalist said that Fernando Santos asked him, you know, not to go to Brazil <laughs> to, <coughs> to um, you know, <coughs> to, <coughs> excuse me, to keep his options open and, uh, and that he would be selected for Portugal in the near future. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be uh, a big fan of that. I'd be, well, I'd be very pleased uh, for that to happen, especially, you know, if he develops even more. He's got all the attributes to be a very good player. Like I say, he's still quite young and he's still got a few raw edges to iron out. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely one to watch. I think from his point of view, maybe if I was him, maybe I think the best thing to do perhaps would just be do nothing right now sure because uh you know keep his options open because if he you know he isn't selected in this portugal squad if he declines the brazil squad at least you know if he manages to do it in a diplomatic way and you know kind of not burn any bridges there you know that that chance may come again especially if he you know continues to do well in, in club football so perhaps uh you know this is one just to wait and see and we'll have to wait until he himself comes out and says, yeah, you know, I definitely want to choose Portugal. I want to choose Brazil. And uh, he gets that first cap 
it's a it's, it's quite an interesting quandary because like you said i think is he was born in rio de janeiro he he lived uh, yeah first 10 years of his life or so 10 or 12 years of his life in brazil then came over it's got quite a story really he uh he really didn't he's quite unusual in portugal in that he didn't go to any of the big uh football academies you know uh benficas or sportings or or porto's academy he just played in very small and known teams really for the first few years you know as he was a kid and as, as he was growing up and even even just four years ago he was he kind of combined football with helping out his mum who's got a Pastelaria in, uh, I think it's Iriseira, if I remember rightly. It's kind of a small town, just about 40 kilometers north of Lisbon. And he, you know, used to help out his mum serving at the counter, uh, keeping that business going. And uh, here we are, just four years later. And there's a, a bit of a fight over him to whether he's going to play for Portugal or, or Brazil. So, yeah, good story from, from that point of view. And uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see which one he chooses. And given the uh, the the quality of those of both those national teams right now, it's 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 nice to be uh, it's got to be nice for him to be wanted, I guess, uh, oh, for lack yeah. of a better term, yeah. uh, in, in this manner. So uh, we're talking with uh, with Tom Cundert of Portugal.net here on episode number fifty of the Celeste Song Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and for for getting uh, for coming back as uh, we had our uh, our uh, our summer break following the uh, the Euros, and uh, we're we're excited to be talking about Celeste Song football again. Um, speaking of the matches, uh, three matches this, uh, coming month, uh, or in September, we're obviously in late August here, but, uh, uh, September 1st against, uh, Ireland in Portugal, September 4th, a friendly, um, part of the international schedule, uh, with Qatar, uh, in, uh, in, I believe, uh, Hungary. And then on the road on September the 7th, uh, against Azerbaijan. Uh, Tom, I, I would venture to say that um, by the end of these three matches, um, six out of six in terms of uh, European or in terms of World Cup qualification uh, points wise and uh, an injury free friendly against Qatar would be just what the doctor ordered for uh, for this uh, national team, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, can't really afford to drop any points now, especially after what happened in Serbia, of course, when Portugal drew 2-2 and were denied the winner with that controversial decision right at the end well controversial that incorrect decision right at the end to rule out uh you know Cristiano Ronaldo's goal which is clearly over the line there was no VAR so yeah Tom but you know what wrong is wrong but the the team should have never had been put in that position in the first place that's true that's true they were 2-0 up cruising really and then just took their eye off the ball didn't they but yeah but you know at the end now uh the result of that you know Serbia uh Pretty strong team, as we all know. They're uh, joint top with Portugal, seven points from three games. So, really, Portugal can't afford to drop any points. I think only the top place team is guaranteed, uh, you know, qualification for the World Cup. If I if I remember that rightly, uh, you know, you want to avoid kind of those old playoff uh, those years where Portugal just seemed to every tournament have to go through a playoff to. To qualify for the tournament so yeah anything but six points from these two games would be you know a massive disappointment and i'm not saying they'll be easy because these are the kind of teams we all know unfortunately that portugal quite often tend to struggle against you know they'll just be very defensive of course they'll be probably be very physical especially either and i expect them to get very physical against portugal and uh sometimes 
we kind of struggle to to break them down. But uh, you know, hopefully, uh, this this is kind of a new chapter, isn't it, Danny? A new start. And so let's see if uh, you know quite a few new faces in the squad as well. Let's see if Portugal can kind of uh, you know, as they say in Portugal, kind of give a different image, renew their image, and uh, you know, start off on a bit more of a positive note uh, in this new cycle. Yeah, the uh, the group winner will qualify directly for the uh, the World Cup, uh, while the runner up will advance to the second round, which is the dreaded playoff. We obviously want to avoid that at all costs. Um, uh, quickly, Tom, uh, you know, the given the last eighteen months uh, in terms of uh, scheduling all these matches, truncated schedules, and given the fact that the World Cup, by the time that the qualifying is over, isn't going to be played for another calendar year. Couldn't we have stretched out the schedule a little bit? Uh, you know, there, I, I find it ridiculous that, you know, Portugal's going to be playing three matches in six days. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're trying to get all back to a, a sense of normalcy in terms of, you know, every, our everyday life, obviously. But, but in just in terms of the, of the, the football scheduling, you know, to me, when on a normal cycle, a normal tournament that is being played in the summer, obviously Qatar is going to be playing during uh, during the winter. Uh, you would think that you know it, it's usually about six months, seven months when the draw is is uh, is done, but eight months from from qualifying being over, we're going to have a full calendar year. And I think that a an opportunity here to stretch this out a little bit more, solely for the fact that. You know these these schedules have been so truncated in the last eighteen months. I think an opportunity was missed here by FIFA to to allow these these national teams and club teams all over the world to worry about these. You know, you have you have COVID protocols with players leaving uh, certain countries to go to other countries, and then you have to wait ten to fourteen days to to play for club football again. And I don't know. I think an opportunity was missed here to to give national teams and give players a little bit more rest that they haven't gotten in the last uh, year and a half. Yeah. That, that's a whole <laughs> can of worms you open there, Danny. Yeah. Because uh, just too much football. I think that's a problem in general for the football authorities, isn't there? There's just too much football. And, but, but you're right, you know, especially in these times where COVID-19 is still an issue. And uh, I mean that, what, what you just mentioned there, I know the, for instance, the English Premier League clubs, kind of issued a joint statement saying they won't be releasing their players, but quite a few of the players have said, uh, you know, I think I read three of the Argentines and uh, have said they're, that they're going to ignore their club's wishes and they're going to, uh, you know, go to play for their national team, which uh, which I think is fair enough. You know, I think it's, that should be up to the player. You know, I know the clubs are very aggrieved about this because uh, as well as this... Um, you know that period which you mentioned uh i think the the rules are you have to stay in your hotel you know you have to self-isolate so they can't even train you know so <laughs> they're going to be like two weeks basically uh out of their you know away from their club and then you would have thought it's going to take at least another week or so for them to to get back up to speed so it's all a bit of a mess and and yeah this is really just uh unfortunately it's Bit of a sign of the times, Danny. You know, so much football. Uh, it's just a, it's just about money, basically, isn't it? They want as many matches as possible. Uh, I remember even when Portugal played 
they're in a similar situation. Maybe about a year ago, they played three matches in a week and they played one friendly in the middle against, I think it was against Andorra. And I remember Fernando Santos just coming straight out and saying, this is an imposition by FIFA. That's why we're playing this game. If it was up to me, there's no way I'll be playing this game. And I think that's probably what he feels about this game against Qatar. You know, they uh, that's just obviously to... Uh, you know, to kind of, uh, I suppose, uh, you know, do what FIFA has told him to do. And uh, it's, it's all about the money. <laughs> and it's a bit of a shame. Perhaps <laughs> Absolutely. That's maybe the only possible plus side for this, if this happens, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, if, if he does use this game against Qatar in the middle, you know, perhaps that's a good opportunity to, to really try uh, something different, you know, free at the back, wing back system. Let's see if it works. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tom, uh, we thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, I know one of the last times that we had spoken um, when Ronaldo had hit, I think maybe goal 100 or goal 101. I, I forget now, but you know, we had, you know, you and I, I think we, we were both of the, uh, of the agreement that the, the sooner uh, that he, gets the the record the all-time scoring record the better um so that it's not and you know i i think uh, i think you used the term right now the an imposition uh, on this national team to to get him the that record uh i was not expecting five goals at the euros uh, let alone in in four games so he's currently now tied all time at 109 when he is unveiled at Old Trafford uh in i think it's on September the 11th or 10th um at new uh, and uh, again against Newcastle and, and you had a, a great note before we came on uh, before we started recording uh, about Newcastle and 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 his debut. Uh, will he be the all-time international scorer in uh, in uh, in men's football uh, when he is unveiled at Old Trafford uh, in I would say what two and a half weeks time? Uh, Danny, I think you told me before this that you're in the middle of a house move. I'd say one thing: if you want to bet your house on this <laughs> do it <laughs> because i think there's absolutely no way that ronaldo will fail to score unless he gets injured in in any of these three matches yeah i'd expect him definitely that's a good point actually didn't think about that that would be a nice little uh introductory line won't it by uh manchester united so welcome to the all-time greatest you know top goal scorer in the history of football i'm absolutely sure that that will be the case uh, you know, in after these three matches. And Tom, before we we let you go, obviously this is this is a bit of a uh, an open ended question here. But you know, we we normally just talk you know national team football, and and I mean that's the whole reason why I began this podcast. But uh, I'd be remiss if uh, if I didn't get your thoughts so far on uh, Liga B win and and the start of a Sporting's title defense and. Uh, that uh, very easy Champions League draw for uh, for Sporting uh, Porto and and Benfica. <laughs> Can I get your thoughts on how the league is uh, started in uh, and uh, and the chance? Not that so much the chances, but just what you thought of the draw for uh, each of the big three. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were just having a bit of a chat before when we started. And I was saying I I can hardly remember really being so excited about a new season as I am ahead of this season. You know, so many so many things to look forward to. You know, as well as of course mainly how Portugal will, uh, you know, how Portugal will progress. 
But uh, in terms of club football, so many things, you know, sporting being champions for the first time in two decades, just about. And uh, I think it's going to be a tremendous fight at the top of the uh, for, for the title this season because something happened which is quite unusual in Portugal, which there hasn't really been too much uh, change in, in the squads of the top clubs. You know, Sporting, Benfica, Porto, pretty much basically the same squads as they were last season, whereas normally you'd see six, seven, eight players leave, six, seven, eight players join, and it's almost like from starting from zero again. But uh, that won't be the case this season. And I think that will probably lead to an improvement in the quality of play of all the top top clubs, top three clubs. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. You know, they look good so far, I'd say, especially Sporting and Benfica, 100% records from their first three games. I think Benfica, of course, have done well to get through their, uh, you know, two sets of qualifiers to get to the Champions League proper. And I think, uh, you know, after a full year and a bit uh, at the at the head of the club, George Jesus, I still think is a tremendous coach and he'll get them firing as well. So they're going to be strong. And I think Porto as well, you know, really strong squad, really strong squad. They all know uh, Sergio Conceição's ideas, that his way of playing. And just look at what they did in the Champions League last season to, you know, to, to show you the kind of quality football they can play. So... Yeah, really looking forward to this season. I'm not going to even attempt to say who will win it. I think it's really, <laughs> I think it's really going to be a close fight between the top three. Yeah, as for the Champions League, my God, that that draw was incredible, wasn't it? It's. Uh, I said the you know these three clubs, I think, will be higher quality than they were last year, and boy, they're going to have to be to, <laughs> to have any chance of uh, you know making progress in the Champions League, especially Benfica and Porto, who. Really, it's difficult to imagine them having much tougher draws. Uh, I'd say especially Porto, you know, they've got Atletico Madrid, haven't they? Who maybe you could say uh, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan and Liverpool. You know, Liverpool, without doubt, one of the strongest clubs in the world. And of course, Porto have had a terrible time against them uh, recently in the Champions League. So, uh, you know, perhaps Sergio Conceição will be looking to redeem himself there and you know proving that he's progressed as a coach uh so yeah that's really tough for, for Porto to, to get out of that group but you know looking at I suppose the last 20 years or so there's only really been one club who's covered themselves in glory when it comes to European football uh you know one Portuguese club and that's Porto so maybe yep. maybe they could actually do it uh, Benfica, you know, Barcelona and Bayern Munich, they've got to get past. You'd expect them to finish above Dinamo Kiev. You know, that's a big, big ask. I suppose the only, I suppose, Ray yeah, of but, yeah, but, but Messi's gone now. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, they're, they're, I was, a shell, they're a shell of their former selves now. I mean, Barcelona, I mean, Barcelona's right for the pickings. I mean, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, they. I do actually think, you know, it's going to be interesting to, to Barcelona, you know, maybe because I'm not really the biggest fan of, Kuman just from his time here uh, as Benfica coach, of course. I wasn't too impressed with him, and uh, I don't think he's the best coach in the world. So, so let's see if maybe Barcelona, you know, they they might they might find it difficult to to adjust after Messi just carrying that team for over a decade or so. So maybe they've got a chance to get through. Sporting, I'd say their group is a, is less daunting. 
but uh, also it's a tough group, Borussia Dortmund, Ajax and Besiktas. You know, I'd say that's quite a balanced group. You'd probably expect Dortmund to to win it and then uh, probably the other three, uh, you know, fighting for second place. So, yeah, like I said, this this season is just, uh, you know, so many things to look forward to. And, uh, yeah, bring it on. Tom, Tom you don't you don't think that... Uh... Edison Cavani is going to give up his number seven jersey at Manchester United to uh, to Ronaldo, do you? Maybe a move to Benfica. <laughs> you know what? A year a year later, maybe yeah. maybe the maybe yeah. the pundits were right, just didn't have the right time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would be amazing. Uh, Tom, uh, you are uh, the absolute best. Thank you so much for for coming on the episode and uh, and uh, answering all my long winded questions and. Uh, I appreciate the time you always make for the podcast and the support you give the podcast and uh, looking forward to, uh, to seeing uh, this last song again on the field uh, in the next few days. And uh, everybody go to Portugal.net to get uh, your coverage uh, that Tom and his team provides. And uh, yeah, it's just good to, uh, to be talking Slash on football again. And it was a pleasure to have you on again, Tom, on, uh, on this 50th episode of the Slash on podcast. Yeah, congratulations, Danny. Uh, 50, that's a good number, half century up. Yeah, always a pleasure uh, coming on, Danny. And uh, yeah, looking forward to, uh, you know, to the next year or so, the lead up to the World Cup. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, again, I said it before the Euro, didn't go well, but I still think that we could be on the cusp of something quite special for the Portuguese national team. So, fingers crossed. And we thank Tom Cundert once again for joining us on episode number 50 of the Celeste podcast. Uh, please reach out to Tom on Twitter and let him know what a great job he does for this show and uh, the great work being done over at Portugal.net. You can find Tom on Twitter at Portugal1. That's P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L and the number one. Okay, just uh, some news and notes here to, uh, to end the podcast. First, uh, a mistake I made on the roster announcement. I believe I said Brun Nevsh. Of course, we're looking at uh, Huben Nevsh of Wolves. Uh, on the list of names, it was uh, Huben Nevsh and then uh, Bruno Fernandes uh, right after him. So I think I just said Bruno twice. So uh, to uh, Huben Nevsh and the entire Huben Nevsh family, I sincerely apologize for that mistake. And I promise that I will try not to make that same mistake again. Uh, news notes, uh, Portugal's world ranking following the uh, world or check that following the uh, the Euros dropped from fifth to eighth. Um, that was the biggest drop um between uh, teams in the uh, in the top 10. You could take these rankings for, for whatever they're worth. Uh, Belgium are still ranked number one, and they were bounced in the quarterfinals. Meanwhile, the team that bounced them out of the quarterfinals, Italy, went from seventh to fifth, and Italy won the damn Euros. So take, them with, you know, take, take it as a grain of salt, whatever it is, but uh, just wanted to pass that on that uh, we are now the eighth-ranked best team uh, in the world, according to FIFA. Uh, congratulations to Huben Dias, uh, who was named the uh, UEFA Champions League Defender of the Year. Uh, just another accolade uh, for the uh, future Slesong captain in just an absolutely brilliant and dominant uh, first season for him um, at Manchester City. Uh, Tuto Sports' uh, Golden Boy list for 2021 was released earlier this week as well. We find five Portuguese players named on that list. Uh, Francisco Conceição of Porto, Fabio Silva, uh, formerly of Porto, uh, now at Wolves. You have Nuno Menge and Thiago Tomás uh, from Sporting and Gonçalo Ramos from Benfica. So congratulations to those young miúdos for uh, continuing the uh, the good 
quality soccer play that is Portuguese football right now, uh, whether it is in Portugal or being done all around the world, especially in Europe. Um, also, uh, not some uh, not song news here, but uh, congratulations is uh, is in order here for our good buddy and former guest uh, Taylor Amarant, who uh, by the time he hears this episode. Um, he will be a newly married man. We are recording uh, the the pod today, the day of his wedding. Uh, but a huge uh, congratulations, parabéns, and uh, muita sorte uh, to Taylor and his uh, lovely bride, Maria Nella. Uh, wishing both of you guys nothing but the best and uh, just uh, have a wonderful, wonderful life together. Uh, this from uh, a happily married man and all of us here at the uh, Celestial Podcast. Um, not an easy transition here, um, but uh, but if you guys can uh, can spare some uh, some good thoughts, uh, even a prayer uh, for uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Michael Araya. Uh, Mike is is currently in a medically induced coma uh, due to complications uh, of COVID nineteen. Uh, he's been in the hospital now for almost three weeks, I think, um, and he has not been able to regularly breathe on his own uh, for uh, a while. Um, so the hospital made uh, the decision to intubate him and put him in a medically induced coma, uh, which he has now been in for about four days. Uh, the hope is that, um, with his body resting, uh, the rest of, uh, you know, his, his lungs and respiratory uh, system can kind of catch up. Uh, so it doesn't have to work as hard while he is awake, um, and conscious, um, to say the least, it's it's a it's a kick in the gut for 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 me and 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 my friends here. Uh, we've grown up with Mike uh, all our lives, um, so um, you know to just so to Mike, um, to his wife Nicole, and, and their kids uh, Brianna and Evan. Um, you can send them any kind of positivity, uh, any kind of prayer um, for Mike, uh, so that he can get back to his family uh, as soon as possible and as healthy as possible. Uh, I would I would greatly. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, Mike, I love you, buddy, and, and I hope to see you um, very, very soon. So, um, so uh, yeah, um, yeah, not easy to go into that, come out of it, but um, that will do it here for uh, for episode number 50 of the Celestone Podcast. Um, our thanks again to Tom Cundert for joining us to discuss Ronaldo's sensational move back to Manchester United, uh, as well as uh, the Celestone's return uh, to the pitch for World Cup qualifying that begins or that resumes, I should say, uh, next week. Uh, we will have a review of those matches um, following the, their conclusion. Um, and uh, we're hoping to have our traditional transfer recap show with uh, with Sean Gillen uh, shortly after Tuesday's transfer deadline. Who knows who who might still be on the move between now and and uh, and deadline day on Tuesday. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom had mentioned that he was hoping uh, that uh, that Bolt would not uh, be moving. or uh, Was it Bolt or Noon Minch? Either one of them, but... I don't see with 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 what they're doing right now at Sporting. Uh, I just don't see those guys being offloaded, especially this late in the uh, in the deadline. So, um, you know, it just uh, I don't anticipate any big moves uh, from the uh, from the league or from the uh, the Liga B win teams uh, unless they are going to be adding on, which could happen now that uh, especially with the Benfica now confirmed in the Champions League. Uh, you could see them make uh, make some moves to to bolster their uh, their um, their squad, but as Tom mentioned, it's it's very weird to see uh, not a lot of big moves either coming or going out of the big three. Um, probably a sign of the times right now, as uh, as we're still trying to I guess rebalance everything 
finan- financially uh, during uh, during this pandemic. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll have a review show of the uh, of the matches and then have a, uh, a separate transfer show with Sean Gillen um, in the next uh, few days. So uh, my name is Danny Pinto. I have been your host of episode number 50 of the Celeste Zone Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. And as always, Forza Portugal!